Beyond the Headline on SAFM, weekdays 3 to 6 p.m. It is eight minutes after five o'clock and it's time for the interview. Our focus is going to be on so-called possible cessation of uh, the Western Cape as well as uh, KwaZulu-Natal. That's the conversation that we're having. But what's your take on that particular possibility? Um, what does it mean for the South African fabric and the way that we understand um, the country that we, that we live in and also considering, of course, um, our past? Um, the extreme inequality that has been um, painted by Oxfam, South Africa being the most unequal um, society in the world. What does all of this mean? Um, If you look at the infrastructure that KwaZulu-Natal has and the role that KwaZulu-Natal plays in our economy as well as the SEDEC economy, what does this all mean? Remember with the July unrest, how the July unrest had a major impact on uh, goods and services in the SEDEC region, especially with some of the goods um, that were coming up from uh, the ports of uh, Durban in KwaZulu-Natal. So what does that all mean for the country, the country's economy, and also social cohesion amongst um, South Africans in general? But then if you have two new countries that will pop up, what does it mean for the continent? So we're in conversation this afternoon with Jack Miller, Cape Independence Party leader, and Kolula Kashi Katia, who is Indulamiti Scenarios Project Lead. So the Western Cape Independence um, Movement, referred to as Cape Exit, is a vivid call for the cessation of the Western Cape province of South Africa, encompassing cities such as Cape Town, Stellenbosch, and significant agricultural sectors. The Western um, the Western Cape is a dynamic hub within South Africa. Can the Western Cape be independent from all other eight provinces in South Africa? But uh, the Indulamiti um, SA scenarios throws in another spanner in the works where they say that there is a possibility of KwaZulu-Natal even threatening for cessation. Let's take your voice note, 0614-104-107, and you can also drop me an X at Aldrin Simpier. Let's start off the conversation with Kolela Keshi, Katia Indulamiti, SA Scenarios, a project lead who's joining us on the line, and then we'll speak to Jack Miller, Cape Independence Party leader. Kolela, good afternoon. Thank you so much for making time for us. Uh, good afternoon, Aldrin, and thank you so much for having uh, me, and good afternoon to your listeners at home. The vulture culture, what is it? Well, the vulture culture is one of the three scenarios that we've come up with for 2035. So we've named our scenarios after birds. So we have the vulture culture which is uh, really, I mean, uh, it's quite self-explanatory because, uh, you know, vultures, these are, you know, birds that love a feast and they are skilled and relentless in adapting to every condition. They've got this keen eyesight and they can push away all the other smaller scavengers and other birds to get what they consider as theirs. And as a result, there's very little left for anyone else. The other scenarios, are we've got the weaver nation, And as you know, the weaver birds are those ones that build those lovely nests 
that are perfect and they cooperate in their nature and they're quite sociable, especially the sociable Kalahari uh, weavers who build and rebuild, uh, you know, and therefore these are birds that can thrive and recover from any disruptions. And the third scenario being the Hadida nation. And, you know, the Hadidas are very loud and noisy and this speaks to a South Africa that is loud, like these uh, Africa's loudest birds who are anxious and skittish and resilient and they build a strongness as well and they return to the same trees. But the main thing here is that it's a recrimination nation where the blame game is the order of the day. So in the vulture culture, that's where we see signs of, you know, some of the provinces opting out of the whole thing because what we see there i mean first of all before i even get into the vulture culture when we look at the issue of state weakness that we've always identified uh, as indulamiti which is one of the key drivers that is the lack of accountability and the weaknesses in the state in particular you know uh, when it comes to you know the the infighting amongst political uh, parties, what we find is that there's this emergence of coalition governments. So across all three scenarios, there is that idea of different forms or, or modalities of coalition governments that would form. But in the vulture culture, yeah, you have a, a coalition government that really emerges after the 2029 elections wherein you have this heavy-handedness, but also very populist parties that form a, a coalition that exploits this growing desperation, you know, by the nation, and uh, and also mobilizing ethnic movements and traditional or so-called traditional values. So they mobilize along the lines of return to traditional values. And this is where now you find this idea of having some of the provinces that are, you know, in power, especially what we identify is that this is likely in four uh, provincial governments and maybe some three or like three of the largest metros where you see now the struggle for positions, but it's all around uh, very populist narratives, which eventually lead to a very disastrous and actually an election in 2034 that is actually uh, discredited by yep. even the African Union. Okay. Um, Jack Miller, listening into the conversation, um, leader of Cape Independence Party. Jack, good afternoon. Thank you so much for, for making time for us. Just listening into what Koleloa had to say there about um, the lack of confidence and trust, of course, in the state and also um, where the state is where the state is lacking. Um, but she also mentions populism. Um, do you see what you're trying to do as being a populist movement? Uh, good afternoon, Alden. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, look, I, I think populism is another word for uh, dissatisfaction with the status quo. And, and I don't think it's just a problem in South Africa. I think it's a problem around the world. Um, you know, just to add another spanner in the works there with regards to um, the Western Cape wanting to become independent, also a very strong call for independence in KwaZulu-Natal. Uh, the same cases, you know, 10 years ago, we were chatting to the Abatembu royal, royal family in the Eastern Cape, and they were calling for the Eastern Cape to become an independent country. On top of that, you've also got uh, Lesotho that feels that when the British, um, you know, departition, you know, parts of, of Southern Africa, they feel that they got, short, um, got a short deal there. 
and there's parts of South Africa that Lesotho believes to be part of Lesotho. And then you've got um, in the north of the country, you've got a number of Tswana regions that would rather join with Botswana because the standard of living of Botswana is higher than the standard of living in South Africa. So, so we, we see it's not just a Western Cape issue. It's an issue across the whole of South Africa. All different communities are incredibly disgruntled with the ANC government, with the centralized system. And something we've said for a very long time is it's not just an ANC problem, it's a centralization problem. It's, it's the European Union is threatening to fall apart for the same sort of issues because you've got a centralized uh, political dictatorship, a political elite that dictates to Germany, dictates to Holland, dictates to England, etc. That's why, that's why Britain uh, chose to vote for Brexit. Um, and I think similarly we're seeing here in South Africa. Yeah. From 19, you know, 1910 until 1948, we were controlled by the British Empire. The Afrikaners didn't like that. So then in 1948, they overtook the British Empire and controlled South Africa from 1948 to 1994. And then the ANC took over in 1994, and they've used those central levers of power to their own benefit. So whether we're under the British control, the uh, Northern Nats control, or whether it's under the ANC control, the man on the ground suffers under a centralized political system. So what, what we're calling for is either if South Africa is to remain a unitary state, we need to be much more federalized. Yeah. So we should be looking at more power to the provinces, not less power to the provinces. And if the ANC will not negotiate with the different um, wills and desires and ambitions of the provinces, then unfortunately we're going to be left with no other option but to uh, push for a referendum to declare... Uh, the Western Cape independent, and obviously Cuisine and Natal would do something similar, and potentially many other provinces too. Yeah. So, so and, and, and that's the thing about it, right, um, Jack, is that there's a difference between a cessation and devolution. Um, so why not push for devolution instead of asking for complete cessation, also considering how important um, the Western Cape is to South Africa's population, the heritage of the country, and also the economy of this country? Well, we have been. We have been pushing for devolution. We've been pushing for devolution since we were formed in 2007, so 17 years now. And what we've seen is the country move further and further away from devolution and towards more and more uh, tyrannical centralization. You know, we were promised a dream of a rainbow nation in 1994, and now you've got parties like the EFF threatening to kill certain racial groups and uh, destabilize the country. The ANC doesn't talk about the Rainbow Nation anymore. And all of these things are deeply unsettling. And yep. so I, I, I wish or I hope that, that uh, a, federalist, um, a federal solution or a decentralized solution would be one that the ANC would be open to. Yep. Um, but unfortunately, based on the last 30 years of, of ANC rule, we believe the only solution we have available left to us is to secede. Okay, just quickly, Jack, is that um, if 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 we were to go ahead with the devolution, would that in, would that mean that um, the tax that you pay still goes to a national coffer, not to the Western Cape's um, coffers? Well, this is one of our many many issues. You know, we talk about our reasons for independence, and economics is is one of yeah. the most important ones. The Western Cape pays 250 billion rand in taxes to the ANC-controlled national treasury every single year, 
we get back on our provincial and our local allocation a mere 60 billion. That means we're literally losing four times the amount of revenue that we're putting in. So if we were to become independent, we could cut taxes in half and still have twice the amount of money available for schools and hospitals and infrastructure. So it's, um, we definitely would want to see the, the uh, division of revenue okay. uh, changed in such a way that the Western Cape doesn't get abused the way we've been abused for 30 years. Okay. Colela, what are the risks if we were to see a cessation of these two provinces? risk is that it doesn't solve anything because the biggest challenge that South Africa faces is the issue of inequality. And it's inequality in its different forms, whether it's provincial inequality, you know, like with provinces that are more urban, that are, uh, that are more privileged than others, there's special inequality, there's inequality along uh, the lines of uh, race and, uh, and gender and so on. As long as we're not dealing with the, the, the key issue, here we are looking at symptoms because this inequality has led us to what we've measured through our barometer, which is a state of lawlessness that we find ourselves in. And you combine that with the inability for, of the state to, 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 to lead. And, uh, and, and without meaningful inclusion of other sectors and other uh, constituencies such as youth, communities, business, civil society, we're still not going to realize all these things. Because even if you were to succeed in, you know, in having what is proposed by Cape Independence, there will still be a focus on their core constituencies in terms of service delivery, whether it's dishing out of tenders, you will still those that are at a disadvantage will still not benefit from that. So I think if we were to honestly deal with our history and how it has led us to being this country that is most unequal in the world, then maybe we will find a way to find solutions. But we have to be more inclusive in finding these solutions. You know, where's the youth in these communications? Where are the local communities? Where is civil society before we even get to this referendum in having a more in a meaningful engagement with all constituencies maybe we can find each other okay um on x is saying the issue of some provinces wanting to stand alone as countries one would say we need to collectively and consistently find ways to work together as south africa the issue of Irania is still a question but reaching to frustration and cutting our country is not a solution let's go to the line quickly mvuseka is joining us from the eastern cape good afternoon good afternoon to you and and and, uh, and your guests Look, I, I don't think this thing will work. Uh, one, you would need uh, a, a referendum or you would need a public participation to decide on this thing. And I don't think majority of South Africans would support it. The two provinces that you are talking about are not only made up of people who were born there. There are quite a number of people from outside these provinces that are contributing to what you're seeing in the Western Cape, in KZN. These two provinces were built by people from rural areas, whether they're coming from the Transkei or other places that were previously declared as homeland. So we should not be narrow in looking at this uh, and, and seeing that the few people in the Western Cape can sustain the, 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 that province or people in KZN can sustain that province. We have a, a, an opportunity here to address the problems that we have because the issues of corruption that you are seeing in other provinces are happening in the Western Cape, are happening in KZN. So my worry about the, 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 the scenarios is that I'm not getting a sense of 
them exploring the possibility of people who would come into positions of public office to do things right, mm. to improve, giving better life, because they're ignoring some of the things that are happening. I mean, okay. if, if you're improving delivery in some areas, what is the possibility of that? Or what scenarios are you reading? An expansion of that of, of that good performance. Okay, we'll get Kolela to Thank respond you. to that. Let's quickly go to Benjamin, who's joining us from Cape Town. Uh, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon, uh, Aldrin. Look, I think uh, Kolela is spot on. Uh, if you look at where where we are now, 30 years in democracy, it's just a very short time, in a very short uh, uh, time frame uh, since colonization, apartheid, brutal apartheid, and 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 the short span of democracy. We haven't even touched the surface of the inequalities, etc. So so uh, what we have here is at the birth of our democracy, we had the DP and the National Party uh, attacking the ANC and, and the pro- progressive forces. Then the, they moved into the DA, and then you, you had the Freedom Front Plus and, and a few uh, minority parties. So, so the ANC government uh, were always under attack to, to, to succumb to, to power. In, 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 in the whims of a minority. We had the sunset clauses that counted against us. Uh, so, so there's a huge migration from the northern provinces of basically white people, privileged white people, buying second homes or primary homes in the Western Cape. I'm sitting in Friedenburg as, I, as, I, as, 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 as we speak. I travel to Piketburg, I travel to the West Coast. Or there's small enclaves where the municipalities are allocating land for white people only. White people first and foremost. They, there's not one town in this country, Aldrin. Show me one town where the economy belongs to blacks. A seaside town where it belongs to black colored and Indian people. There's not one town in this whole country, not in agriculture or a sea, uh, yeah. a, a sea, a sea fishing village. So what I'm saying, Aldrin, is that the this it's 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 there's a very strong racist element yeah. because I'm a colored person. Okay. I'm a colored person. I and I can tell you it's not about us. I'm the person on the ground. I'm not suffering from centralization of power. Okay, I Benjamin there from Cape Town. Unfortunately, Benjamin, we're running out of time. I just need to Tolela to quickly respond to that um, to that um, uh, question that we had earlier on from Vusekaya. A scenario where you actually have the right type of leader that is able to steer the country in the right direction, the right type of leaders that are able to steer the provinces in the right type of direction, because the points that are being raised by Jack Miller in terms of um, in terms of corruption, um, poor service delivery, and so forth, are some of the issues that you've highlighted in the scenarios as well? Well, Aldrin, that scenario would be the Weaver work, which is a cooperation nation. But then you have to be reminded that, you know, we, where we're starting off, because right now we are, in terms of the last scenarios, we're in the state of lawlessness, which we named the Guaraguara nation, and we were deeper into it. So you, you cannot deny that reality that we're in the worst case scenario that's almost there in the in in the vulture culture. So what would trigger a change would be actually the people getting absolutely cut for with everything that has been happening and erupting in protest. And we know that we think of protest as something that's negative, but then what we see in the scenario is that there's this rise 
rise of social movements, interfaith alliances, NGOs leading the wave of marches, much like what happened in the 1980s, where this anger is now challenged into creativity with artists also. I mean, we're starting to see elements of that with our music going global, with our visual artists, designers, and so on. And as a result, because of that rise in social movements and everyone, you know, in, in protest mode, even creativity so, you see government being forced into a broad coalition that consists of mostly you know respectful partners that again it's a coalition but this one is more that is uh, uh you know putting forward listening it's, it's viewed as a, a coalition government that listens wherein it it actually pays attention to the fact that people's hopes have been dashed and people became defiant as a result so what we see by 2034 we see major parties signing a concord agreement much like the government of national unity that we saw you know during our transition in 1994 but this will take an active citizenry business that is actually also compelled as a result of these social movements to feed into that to to, to invest into it and as a result government then is forced to listen and government is forced to ensure that the service delivery and as a result trust seeps back yeah. into into the nation let's quickly give uh, jack miller an opportunity as well jack your response to that and also the accusation that um, always comes through when you have conversations about the cape independence is the issue of um, it is rooted in racism and also a point which is um, which which is factual is um, as kilajo says white people came with no land through the cape in 1652 dispossessed us create arbitrary boundaries created by laws to entrench their dispossession and our subjugation. Now they want to cement through cessation in our land, not ever again. When one uses the term our land, what does that mean? I mean, you know, we're, the ANC likes to start history in 1948. Um, if we're talking about South Africa's recent history, it actually started in 1910 with the, the Anglo-Boer Wars before then and the genocide that the British inflicted on the Afrikaans people. Then let's go back to the 1800s. So there was no Zulu nation until Shaka Zulu created the Zulu nation. And he did that, he did that in the 1800s through early 1820s. Sure. And we all know something called the Infokane, depending on your historical records. Uh, the Zulu nation wiped out anywhere from between 1 million to 2 million other black tribes here in South Africa. Um, if you if you look at the historical records from 1652 and prior to that, sure, but that uh, doesn't deal with the question of the race, the race element. Um, as he points out, that white does. people didn't come with land to to Africa, and now you have this particular push, and it is being seen through the lens of racism that you have uh, influential white ma- uh, minority in the country that is trying to push for cessation of a land that their forefathers didn't um, didn't bring. Well, we, we would argue that we don't believe in that. We don't agree with that. I mean, if you look at the um, the Bunchy migrations, they wiped out the Khoisan tribes. The Khoisan were actually... Sure, I you're mean, not dealing with the white and black issue, Jack. That's, that's what we're trying to deal with. Um, so he says that white people didn't bring land to this continent or to this country, but yet now you have... Um, the ancestors, oh, sorry, not the ancestors, um, but the offspring of people who are born of settlers um, wanting to secede and want their piece of this particular country. 
which their forebears yeah. didn't bring. Absolutely, neither did the Bantus when they came down and wiped out the, the Khoisan. Again, it doesn't speak to the to the white and black issue. No, no, no. So then both the Bantus and the Europeans who arrived here are going to have to give the land back to the Khoisan. So where do you want but to start? But the Bantus history? and the Khoisan are from this continent. The Bantus, the Bantus and the Khoisan are not the same people. But they are from this continent. Okay, so are the Egyptians. So, I mean, at, at where, where the, this entire argument is actually based on race. So the racist argument yeah. is that people who've been living here for 400 years uh, don't belong here. I mean, this but is it's an no, But it's concept. those people that are saying that. Those people are saying that we don't belong to South Africa. Mm-hmm. We want our own little country on the side um, of the uh, Cape of Good Hope. But in the same breath, they want to enjoy the constitutional rights that this country has. But in the same breath, also say that we don't want to be part of this country anymore. Well, this country didn't exist before 1910. So I think everyone who wants Cape independence is perfectly happy. In fact, we would promote that the Zulu people have a proud Zulu nation in KwaZulu-Natal, that the Eastern Cape people have a proud Kwazulu nation in the Eastern Cape. And we're not, we're not asking for anyone to not okay. uh, have their land and their rightful place in the sun. But here in the Cape, we've, we've got a culture which goes back centuries and it's, it's, it's a different cultural, economic, political, social construct to what okay. the ANC believes in. And we've, we've been oppressed and we're now with a slave to an ANC government and we're tired of it. Okay, Jack Miller, Cape Independence Party leader there. And Kolela Kashe Katia, who is uh, in Lulamiti project lead.